reading today is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to chapter 15, verse 18. In our Blue Bible, on the pews, it will be on page 193. Some tithes. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your corn, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God, and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away. Then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no land allotted to them or any inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites who have no land allotted to them or any inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. At the end of the seven, every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need to be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord, of your, the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debt, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land, 
Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you for six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because your service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hard hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. This is the word of the Lord. James, thank you very much for reading that passage to us. It'll be a tremendous help if you can keep that open at page 193. Uh, if we've not met before, my name's John, I'm part of the staff team, and let me add my welcome to that of Lisa. It's great to see you. Uh, let's um, pray for God's help as we come to his word. Father God, we do ask that you would indeed show us Christ this evening as we come to your word. May we see the riches of who he is and what he has done for us. And in light of that, may we think about how we live our lives for you. May we show love and kindness because of what Jesus has done. So help us speak into our hearts and minds, we pray. Shape us into the likeness of your Son. For your glory's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. What makes a person truly generous? What makes a person truly generous? I guess we could look at some examples of people who have been incredibly charitable. Uh, somebody like Oprah Winfrey, the Hollywood uh, star. Many of us all know who she is. She's probably one of the most influential women in the world. Uh, in 2004, she was ranked amongst the 50 most generous Americans. And then by 2012, she had given away $400 million to educational causes. Now, people might think that that is what true generosity looks like. Uh, but not many of us have got $400 million lying around, have we, to give away? Uh, does this mean that only some people can be truly generous? Well, of course not. Generosity is not about what you give, but how you give. For at the heart of giving is the heart. 
Uh, we might wonder why Oprah would be so charitable. I guess on one level it's pretty obvious, isn't it? She, she wants to help people and to give people a future, I guess particularly children. But what's really going on in here? Why does she want to do these things? Now, it might seem a bit harsh to single Oprah out, but this would be fair questioning, I think, to anyone who is perhaps liberal with their giving. Perhaps what needs to be asked is, for whom are you doing these things? For yourself or for God? For your glory or for God's glory? the only true measuring stick for true generosity is if we're seeking to honour God with our giving. Because in glorifying God, we acknowledge that what we have and what we give ultimately comes from God. Uh, This evening we are continuing our journey through the Bible. And as you might have guessed, and you can see from the title, uh, we're thinking about giving. Our passage in Deuteronomy uh, may not be so well known as some of the other passages that we've seen so far, uh, but it is actually incredibly helpful. For what it teaches on, uh, for what it teaches on giving shapes how we live our lives as Christians. It forms our thinking on how we should honour God and treat others. And it examines the heart and guides us towards true generosity. I've got two points that I hope will help us as we go through this passage. And as we look at at this, I want us to think about the context of the Old Testament, but also how we look at this with a new covenant perspective too. So here is the first point for us. The generous person reveres and rejoices in the giving God. The generous person reveres and rejoices in the giving God. Uh, Look down with me at chapter 14, verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Now, tithing was a common practice in the ancient Near East. And it was used either as a religious rite or a royal tax. Uh, The first mention of tithes in Scripture is with Abraham. In Genesis 14, Abraham gives to Melchizedek a tenth, that's a tithe, of the spoils of the defeated northern kings. And then later in Genesis 28, Abraham's grandson Jacob makes a vow to give a tenth after his dream at Bethel. Uh, But tithing as a regular requirement doesn't come until the reading of the law at Sinai. Initially, the tithe supported the Levites who presided over the duties of the tabernacle. And even the Levites weren't exempt from this tithe. They had to give a tenth of the tithe they received as an offering to the Lord. Uh, And if you want to know more on that, you can read Numbers 18, verses 21 to 29. Uh, This morning, we saw how the the generation who 
were saved from slavery in Egypt were rebellious in their unbelief towards God. And as a result, the people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and never entered the Lord's rest. Uh, But as we come to Deuteronomy, a new generation has arisen and they would enter the promised land. And just before they enter, Moses retells the law to the people. And this included the regulation of tithing. But we do see a sort of development to this law because we see a clear link between the tithe and the land. And of course that makes sense because prior to coming into the land, the people were wandering in the wilderness. That's rather unsuitable for being a farmer. But this new generation would enter and settle in the land. And agriculture would become probably the prominent vocation for people. And you see, the law required a tithe of what a household produced. Verse 22 again, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And the people were instructed to eat some of this tithe in the presence of the Lord. This was a feast eaten at the place where God chose to dwell in his sanctuary. And the reason for doing this comes down at verse 23. Look with me there. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. You see, in the Lord's presence, the people were to eat this feast to honour him. To recognise that the Lord is a giving God. He is overwhelmingly generous in his provisions to his people. Remember, this land was promised by God to Israel all the way back to their father Abraham. And they were to give back a portion each year to honour the Lord for his wonderful provision. So true generosity begins with acknowledging God's provision, revering him for all that he has given us. Uh, We're just just about still in that sort of harvest period, aren't we? Uh, Schools and churches will have their harvest assemblies and uh, services. Uh, You might have been involved with one of those in the last few weeks. Uh, I think, if I'm right in thinking, the Canadians will be celebrating Thanksgiving tomorrow. And much uh, sort of in November, Americans will be celebrating Thanksgiving then. But this sort of autumnal season is a time to give, uh, to be grateful for what you have. But for Christians, we direct that thanks to God. And it's not just for, for one season, but all year round. For we know that everything created is from above and for which our reverence and appreciation should be shown. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4 verse 4, For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And we see from our passage just how wonderful God is as he accommodates people with this tithe. You see, for those whom it's too far away to travel with their goods, he allows them to make other arrangements. 
Instead, they can sell their produce, sell their livestock to, for silver. And with that coin, they can then travel to the sanctuary, buy food, and still eat in the presence of the Lord. And even in the detail, God shows us the breadth of his allowance. Verse 26, use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord, your God, and rejoice. You see, they could choose whatever they liked. What was most important to the Lord was that people came unburdened to dwell in his presence, revering and rejoicing him as he most rightly deserves. You see, the heart of generosity is loving God, revering and rejoicing in him for all he has given. And the tithe, it facilitated this. But tithing was also a means by which God expressed his love and care towards his people. In verse 27, God does not want his servants, the Levites, to be neglected. And so the Lord provided for them through this tithe. But God also has concerns for the underprivileged. Through a seven-year sabbatical cycle, these needy people are welcome to come and eat and be satisfied. Look at verse 29. Uh, Levites who had no land allotted to them or any inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. You see, obedience to this provision, like all other regulations of the covenant, would bring blessing from the Lord. Now, with such a positive view of tithing that we have here, we might think that as Christians we should tithe too. And many would argue that and agree with that. But this question is really about the relationship between the Old Testament law to the Christian today. In Romans chapter 7, verses 4 and 6, Paul writes this, You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. You see, as Christians, we have been released from the law. But it's not as though we've been set adrift without any bearings. In the new covenant, we come under the law of Christ. And this is the law of love that fulfills the Old Testament commandments. So we are turned away from law-keeping as the dominant, defining, primary way we relate to God. Instead, we turn to Christ and his Spirit. So where does tithing fit in? Well, if it was a way to support the Levites who oversaw the covenant religious system of that era, or should we not then support our covenant system of the church in a similar way? 
Uh, the New Testament says pastors should be supported if they do this ministry for the whole of their life. 1 Timothy 5 verse 18 says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So is this an implication that we should just bring over the tithe to the new covenant? Well, the Apostle Paul's way of dealing with this support is to say, uh, is to say each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's well-known verses from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. I listened to an American pastor on this matter, and he said this. At the end of the day, I would say we should value our riches in Christ in this new covenant relationship so highly and our freedom from sin so highly and gospel so highly that we would simply love to give. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive and we would be free from a love of things and a dependence on things. And we would outgive those who live under the law because we have a better covenant and a better promise. Everything is greater with Christ. Why wouldn't giving be greater? Now, for what it was, the tithing was good because it was from God. But what we have in the gospel is even better. Revering and rejoicing in the riches of Christ drives us to true generosity. We marvel at the giving God and respond with an open, willing and cheerful heart. I mentioned at the start that how we give is more important than what we give. But of course, it is good to clarify what giving looks like practically. Uh, we're all in different positions to give in various ways. So it's helpful to think what those might be. And it may well mean giving financially, supporting the staff team, uh, mission partners, building projects or other funds like that. And if this is an area where you might consider helping, then please do speak to Andrew Grimstone. I don't know if he's here tonight, but and, or Fred Patton as well. Uh, and they'd be very happy to talk through certain options. Um, they also pointed me to one of these sort of giving packs there in the foyer that uh, you can uh, have a look through and take home as well to think things through, if that's helpful. But of course, giving is, it's not just about offering money, is it? It's also about the use of our time and our service. At church, there are duties to sign up to, groups to be involved with, hospitality to offer, and many other possibilities. And if you think you could give to the church in that way, then please talk to someone on the staff team and they will direct you to perhaps what is the most suitable thing. Now, one application that comes from verse 29 is the need to support and spend time with the vulnerable amongst us. For the true reflection of our faith is to care for people like this. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts 
as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. For the believer who has just arrived into the country, to those that are housebound or lonely, to the infirm and sick, to the anxious or grieving, we should give ourselves to them. That is the true mark of our faith and a blessing to those in need. Now, I should say that we are so very grateful and thankful to God for all who give and support this church so generously and faithfully. And we should thank God for his provision. But we can think about how we might continue to grow in our giving and generosity. And I don't mean just throwing more money at the, at the coffers. But we should consider how we might show even greater generosity in our hearts. And the more we, we grasp the vertical relationship with with giving as we understand our relationship with God, that is that we revere and rejoice in all that he has given us, the more this shapes those horizontal relationships with one another. It will help us to be truly generous and love each other. And this leads us to our second point, which is this. The generous person shows compassion to the needy. The generous person shows compassion to the needy. We're now in chapter 15, from verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debt. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debt has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelites owes you. Uh, now, during his presidency, um, you may have read or seen that Joe Biden is, uh, has plans to cancel student debt in America. Uh, and from his latest press conference and what I saw... He's confirmed that a total debt cancelled under his administration is $127 billion for nearly 3.6 million people. Uh, this plan was a reaction to the concern of debt for young people, um, especially in the wake of COVID. Uh, now, in Deuteronomy 15, we see, see the Lord's own plan to deal with debt. Uh, but this wasn't to tackle a sort of ongoing issue of debt like in the US. This plan was put in place prior to Israel entering the land as a preventative measure so that God's people might face little, little to no debt within the community. You know, this was an important matter to the Lord. God desired no one to either owe or be owed money long term. Because the debtor could, could become bitter and resentful to his creditor. And the creditor would feel superior as they had something over them. Sin would easily manifest itself in that situation. And so debts 
were to be cancelled at the year end of the seventh year. And this produced a culture of forgiveness and equality among the Israelites, or that at least was the hope. And I guess it was probably a contrast to the nations that were likely treated their debtors harshly and reveled in the intimidation and threats of demanding their money. It's that sort of thing of, if you don't give me your money, I'll send the boys round kind of thing. But Israel was certainly not to behave like that. And nor were we. Now the cancelling of debt was just between fellow Israelites. For we see from verse 3 that foreigners' debts weren't cancelled. So as we apply this to ourselves, I think we are thinking of lending money between Christians. In the New Testament, lending money is not prohibited, but how we go about it matters. Especially to the one lending the money. Matthew 5, verse 42 says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And Luke 6, verse 35, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting back nothing. You see, the principles for the one who lends are to not to neglect those in need. In addition, there should be no expectation to be repaid. See, this models grace. And as for the one in need, well, it might feel a bit awkward or embarrassing asking for money. But Jesus implies that it is okay to do so. Of course, this is not about what you want, but what you need. At all costs, we want to avoid being fraudulent. And asking for money should always be done, if possible, with a mind to pay it back. Because that upholds the love and the trust between the believers. Now, I do think it's also worth saying that such decisions should be sort of doused with careful consideration, prayer, wisdom, and conversation. And it may be helpful to run it past a sort of a, a regular serving believer that we trust. Uh, they might have some, some information and or wisdom that will ultimately help make the decision whether or not it's right to lend or to ask in that matter. Uh, the ideal for Israel was that there would be no sort of second class or underclass. Uh, the whole community would prosper under God's blessing. But this was on the condition of Israel's obedience. At the end of verse 4, it says, He will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. You see, if they were obedient, then God would richly bless them and they would lend to and rule over the nations but would never borrow from anyone. But you see, Israel neither fully obeyed the Lord nor were careful to follow his commands. And the consequence of their disobedience was poverty. And the instruction then that inevitably follows is that if the poor are among them, they must treat them rightly. They are to be generous by showing compassion 
to them, to the needy. Rather than being hard-hearted and tight-fisted, they were to be open-handed and freely lend what was needed. Uh, This contrast makes me uh, think of that utter change of the character Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. And he had that massive transformation after that night, with that Christmas Eve night, with the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You know, he goes from saying, bar humbug, to God bless us, everyone. Uh, And I do find verse 9 is an interesting warning that perhaps exposes what the Israelites might be tempted to think. Is there a loophole to God's cancelling of debt? You know, it's, it's nearly the end of the seventh year, so I won't give because otherwise I won't get paid back. That is not the attitude to have. The compassionate thing to do is to give freely and generously. The Lord makes it clear that the poor will always be in the land. And Jesus made a similar statement during his ministry. And the poor are with us today. The generous thing to do is to show compassion to the needy, particularly to those in Christ. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, along with this sort of cancelling of debts, there also came the freeing of servants. Uh, this is, was also done after seven years. Uh, servants is also, I think, translated here or understood as sort of slave. And when we hear that word, we kind of blanch, don't we? And we might think, is this a passage that supports the practice of slavery? Well, that depends on what kind of slavery we're talking about. Uh, If we're talking about enslavement, uh, then the Bible utterly condemns it. In 1 Timothy, Paul speaks of the lawbreakers, and a group that comes in that list are slave traders. The Bible also talks about slavery in a spiritual sense. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to Christ. Which one of those we belong to depends on whether we've been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. But the Bible also speaks of what we might call a sort of economic servitude. You gave yourself into the service of another, most likely to pay off a debt. And this is what we see here in Deuteronomy 15. It's what we might call the sort of regulations of a bond slave, something like that. I think we do see something similar also if we were to read Philemon and um, the the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And I guess for us, uh, such a system seems very foreign and distant from our lives today. But I think there are some helpful insights for us to see. For starters, in verse 12, the slave must be set free in the seventh year of their service. This This is not lifelong servitude. In addition... 
the freed slave must go, mustn't go empty-handed. Verse 14 tells us the master was to liberally give them meat, grain, and drink, give wine. They were to be overwhelmingly generous as they left the household. And all this was to be done in the remembrance that they too were slaves in Egypt and the Lord redeemed them. Of course, this is actually the new generation who probably didn't experience that slavery for themselves. But they wouldn't be where they are if not for God's redemptive work to that previous generation. Now, as Christians, we are never to enforce or enslave or coerce people. For we ourselves were slaves to sin. But now we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, it's highly unlikely that we would do that. What we might do, though, is let certain things hang over people. I've done you a favour, so you do me a favour. Perhaps we just kind of keep prodding and pressing to get help from people like that. But that is not how a Christian should behave, is it? We should help others freely with love and grace. No expectations, no quid pro quo, no strings attached. You see, we don't need $400 million to be generous. Generosity starts in here. And it acknowledges what God has given us. We revere and rejoice in the extravagant riches we have in Christ Jesus. And our response to that is to be compassionate to those in need. Giving openly, sacrificially, and willingly to all who need our help. That is true generosity. So let us ask the Lord to give us a spirit of generosity in our hearts today. Let me pray for us. Our Father God, we do indeed thank you. We cannot express our thanks enough for what you have given to us in the Lord Jesus. The immeasurable riches of knowing him, of being saved by him, of one day being with him in eternity. Help us, Father, we pray, to have a heart of generosity in light of what you have done for us. That we may love one another, help one another, particularly show compassion on those in need. That it might be a blessing to us, a blessing to them, and a blessing to you. 
And we pray that in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, 